Be Rad podcast is brought to you by MoFo, male optimization formula with organs to boost testosterone. Brad's macadamia masterpiece, mind-blowing nut butter blend, now offered on Amazon. Chili technology, temperature-controlled mattress systems for a good night's sleep. InsideTracker.com, offering blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data all in one place. And Organifi, whole food organic superfood supplements and drink blends. And please visit the shopping page at bradkearns.com for my personal selection of favorite products for health, fitness, and peak performance with great discounts for listeners. Here we go with the show. For example, if somebody who's lean and fit skips breakfast, then when they eat lunch, there's no exaggerated response to their glucose levels when they eat lunch. But if somebody's actually you know, more overweight and obese, they do have this exaggerated response at lunch, and that's actually, they're gonna have a different effect from not eating breakfast. If you always have that nice glass of wine and piece of chocolate in your living room or TV room where you relax, well, if you keep exposing yourself to that same environment whilst you have those nice things, well, what happens on a Tuesday when you actually don't really crave a glass of wine or whatever else, but that environment now, your brain is getting the sensation, well, wait a minute, hey, this is the place where we have the nice food, the chocolate, the ice cream at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock. And so you begin to get cued by your environment. Eating clean, it's nice that that's sort of a trend and people want to consume more whole foods and, and that's tremendous. But we also need to just make sure there's enough gas in the gas tank to drive the car from LA to New York, right? If there's not enough fuel in the system, we're going to expose ourselves to more injuries. And if you combine that with things like lack of sleep, you know, we've really become you know, more susceptible. Hello, listeners. We have a fast moving, very informational and thoughtful show from Dr. Mark Bubbs, a Canadian expert in all manner of peak performance. He's a doctor of naturopathic medicine. He's a longtime trainer, coach, performance nutritionist. He worked with the Canadian national basketball team. And it's very cool because he is deep into the scientific research. And you'll hear many references throughout the show uh, that lend to his credibility and his deep dive into all manner of peak performance, especially uh, with the top of his new book, Peak 40, which is uh, talking about the goal of dealing with uh, this inevitable uh, slowdown and this high risk of really going off track in midlife. And so he puts a holistic lens on recovery, exercise, mindset, nutrition, with all kinds of uh, aspects thrown in. So you're going to get a comprehensive uh, discussion here with me chiming in, especially when he gives his golf analogies, which are uh, so beautiful and uh, so applicable to a healthy living and, and peak performance and getting with your nutritional goals. So this guy is like the king of analogies sports analogies, a uh, lot of scientific reference threaded into his insights. And some of the stuff's going to be uh, a little bit of off the uh, off the beaten path. He talks about the importance for many people uh, of eating breakfast. And when you do get yourself down for a nutritious breakfast, which of course we talk so much about fasting and the 16-8 pattern and seeing how long you can fast. Well, uh, there's another side of the coin here. 
And that is, especially for people who are struggling with some metabolic challenges, consuming breakfast can actually mute the glucose response at later meals and kind of keep you more balanced and more regulated rather than, let's say, waiting for a long time and then having a big uh, lunchtime meal, especially with that potential we all have for overeating if we overdo it with the fasting and the calorie restriction during the day. Uh, you're going to hear an amazing stat that a lot of our food, 40% of our food is eaten past 6 p.m. So we might want to unwind that and have some different strategies in place. So it gives you a lot of strategies to think about. There's a lot of personalization that you're going to have to uh, process and see what works for you and try new things. I especially love his focus on uh, reducing decision fatigue and setting up winning systems in your life. So here we go with Dr. Mark Bubbs, the author of the sensational new book, Peak 40. Dr. Mark Bubbs, coming to us from the UK. Nice. Thank you for joining us in your evening time. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, we connected a couple of years ago for Primal Blueprint podcast, and I'm so glad to talk to you now uh, with this important need to focus on aging gracefully, which is what <laughs> Be Rad is all about and my, my purpose yeah. in life. And I, I love sharing this message, and especially since, boy... It seems like we're at a crossroads in modern life where we can go and join the the masses into the uh, medical system, reliance on prescription medication, a, a steady decline or an accelerated decline into old age, or with all this great cutting edge science and research and coaching, we can dream of you know having this long, incredible, vibrant life. So uh, your new book, Peak, <sighs> is going to set us all straight, especially with some <laughs> of the misconceptions. So. Um, what, what's happening, man? Tell me, tell me the uh, the scoop and what well, this book's all I mean, about. You nailed it there. I mean, yeah, Peak Forty is just a, it's a it's funny because my yeah my first book Peak we, we took a deep dive into athletic performance um, as it relates to team sport and endurance and all these different factors and and in doing that you know as you work in performance you know the coaches are in midlife right you know mid thirties mid forties <laughs> mid fifties and they're working long hours and not in the best health and the performance staff are the same way and then you know, I've got three kids at home and all of a sudden, like, there's no more time left in the day. So how do I figure out how to do this or that? Or all of a sudden you're spending, you know, you're zooming now at eight, 10, 12 hours a day with the pandemic and aches and pains start to rack up. And, it's, and so you start to see, and I'm sure your listeners and the, you know, folks that you work with, it's, it's easy for things to start to unravel a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're in pain, you can't move, you gain 20 pounds, blood sugars go up. Now we might need a, a medication for that or you know, uh, cholesterol levels, lipid panels, not looking so good. So it's amazing how things start to un can unravel. And so that was the impetus for writing Peak 40 was more of a, a short form of some simple heuristics of, okay, how do we, in, in the, in the hurricane of midlife, how do we, how do we adopt some strategies that can help us to keep things on track and, and not have to, you know, calculate our macros and weigh our food every day and, <laughs> and, and those are strategies in the short term that are helpful. But I mean, in the long term, most people want to just operate on heuristics, right? On, on think, yeah, you know, it's, what the it's also like. helpful to uh, take the first two and a half hours of your day and dedicate it to uh, mindfulness, physical fitness, uh, healthy yeah. eating. And um, my old friend, my childhood friend, Dave Coburn, I did a show with him and he detailed his tremendous morning routine. And he's at that place in life where he has the, the time and the flexibility to put together this amazing jog on the beach at sunrise and then a <laughs> yes. cold plunge and then a hot sauna and then, then a journaling workout. and the whole yeah. deal. <laughs> 
And, you know, when I visit him and, and start my day this way, it's absolutely fabulous. And it, it sets you up for this, this healthy life where your priorities are set and everything's dialed in. And then, you know, we get the pushback, just like you described with kid number three arriving. And um, all of a sudden your, your time crunch, I, I suppose maybe we should start there. It's like, can we do this in a time efficient manner if we, if we claim to not have that three hours? And all you listeners who claim to not have that two or three hours, let's talk about your Netflix queue and the way that you are, are wasting or choosing <laughs> sure. to spend time in other ways besides physical fitness. Okay. For sure. I mean, it's always that old story of a priority management instead of time management, right? Mm, um, but it is, it is like it is fascinating how there's some great research around breakfast now coming out. You know, the University of Bath in the UK does all this tremendous research around how breakfast impacts us. And this is where, you know, a lot of nice uh, heuristics, again, like uh, intermittent fasting and fasting can be helpful, but there are some differences or nuances depending on the individual. So, for example, if somebody who's lean and fit skips breakfast, then when they eat lunch, there's no exaggerated response to their glucose levels when they eat lunch. But if somebody's actually, you know, more overweight and obese, they do have this exaggerated response at lunch, and that's actually so they're going to have a different effect from not eating breakfast. Those, when we look at some of the stats around breakfast eaters versus non-breakfast eaters, I mean, we tend to see all these things in terms of, you know, people who eat breakfast tend to be leaner, they tend to have lower blood pressure, better blood sugar levels, eat more vegetables. Um, now, these are all observational studies, and so it's around, well, does that mean that you have to eat breakfast? Well, not necessarily, but there's some interesting repercussions for those individuals who start to skip breakfast. And then again, as I mentioned, one of them being that all of a sudden, you know, your lunch, you might get this exaggerated response if you're looking to lose that 20 or 30 pounds. Um, but you also actually start moving less, which is some of the findings that mm. they found from the what's called the bath breakfast study. So, you know, less just general movement through the day, that non-exercise activity, thermogenesis, that fancy term in science, NEAT that you get in the day, even fidgeting, which sounds funny, but the amount of little movements that we do can start to decrease. Now, that doesn't mean you can't use that strategy, but just knowing that that's a part of the puzzle can be really impactful because if we start moving less, and the other side of the coin really is we start eating later, right? If you start, and that's a whole other topic, late eating is another big area of research that we look into in the book. But if you start eating later at night, now all of a sudden we're, we're you know, we're compounding the issues of, you know, rather than this fasting in the morning helping us, it's actually hindering. So, you know, for a lot of us getting that breakfast back in and of course dialing in, depending on the activity level, I know you work with a lot of fit individuals as well. So, you know, the, the amount of fuel starch could be, you know, higher for certain individuals, but for other ones, you know, who are trying to lose weight, you know, that typically reducing a lot of that packaged stuff that we eat for breakfast, all the boxed and bagged things is a pretty darn good, good way to start. So I guess it's a, an individual experimentation and looking back after 30 or 60, 90 days of, of testing out a new strategy, including possibly uh, stepping away from this obsession with seeing how long you can fast and how many hours you can bank and maybe having a good nutritious breakfast. I had Rob Wolf on the show and he talked, he gave great one liner and he said, hey, if you want to live longer, lift more weights and eat more protein. And so he's talking to mm -hmm. the metabolically healthy crowd where, you know, fasting is a stressor. So is doing a, a, a strength training session. And, mm -hmm. you know, pairing those two, and I, I reference myself because I'm, I'm pairing high intensity workout, fasting, uh, carb restriction when I first got into keto and really went deep dive and, and, and living the, living the lifestyle and being old and trying to do, uh, the aforementioned, uh, you're, yeah. you're stacking up the deck where maybe, uh, maybe there's going to be some benefits from getting that nutrition in and, 
So you're saying uh, the blood sugar response will be uh, adverse if you're maybe not entirely metabolically healthy and you're trying to wait too long to consume a meal? Yeah, well, and this is to do with breakfast. And then when they did consume breakfast, they actually had a better glucose response. And so this is where, you know, the notion being in the morning of just trying to get people off to a, a, a start where they don't have to think about things. If we if we can start to reduce the food decisions that we make, because every time <laughs> we have a decision to make in the day, that it's a chance to go wrong. And of course, as the day goes, then compliance decreases. And again, we can talk mm. late night, but that's where things get tougher. So getting off to a good start in the morning where we can get, if we get our breakfast in, you know, get a sufficient amount of protein, because we know that breakfast is the meal of the day that we don't get enough protein compared to lunch and dinner, right? Like we fail to hit that 20 gram mark. Um, and if we're thinking about longevity, you know, if we've got some of the best protein researchers in the world, Theo Espoglu at Leeds Beckett in the UK and Stu Phillips at uh, McMaster in my hometown uh, in uh, near Hamilton, um, Canada, you know, 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight of protein. If we can start to achieve that in midlife and then through to our 50s, 60s and 70s, that's a great way to preserve muscle mass, right? To prevent um, sarcopenia, so that loss of muscle mass as we age, which is really tightly connected to a lot of adverse health events. And so, you know, that's, if we can start to automate that, you know, if we can start mm -hmm. to just, everybody knows that you can hit your 1.2 grams per day, divide that through the day. And that just becomes second nature. You can almost forget about the protein side of things and focus your attention, you know, on other areas. And so that's part of the whole story is to just try to get people into the, into a rhythm with how they're eating. So we don't have to always be wondering, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? That type of thing. Mm, yeah, with the protein, it seems like there's uh, a trend toward uh, backing away from any of the previous warnings about the dangers of consuming excess protein. Mark Sisson just wrote a long post on MarksDailyApple.com. Paul Saladino is talking about uh, 2.2 grams. In other words, uh, a gram per pound or 2.2 grams per kilogram, which is 2.2 uh, pounds per kilogram, uh, which is quite a bit more than the the minimum I th you're specifying a minimum so i'm specifying a minimum there, so, yeah. yeah and so this is where if you think of a bell curve like the reason why we specify minimum is i want and i know you're a big golfer so this is this this dovetails with golf like when you're a good golfer your worst shot is just off the fairway mm. when you're a 20 handicapper your love worst, the analogy your, mark your worst exactly. shot is 30 yeah. feet into the bush and it's yeah. out of bounds right yeah so we've got to start making a nutrition your worst day still pretty good. And so the idea with a minimum is that the 1.2, that's your worst day. You're going to be doing really well. Now, to your point, as we go up that bell curve, you know, 1.6 grams per kilo looks like the sweet spot where you're getting kind of most all the benefits. Um, and that's work, again, Rob Morton out of McMaster University that shows that that's a pretty nice place to go. But as you mentioned with, with uh, Saladino, from the 1.6, if you keep going up to that 2.2, now you're at the top of that bell curve. You're inching out those you know, some of those, some of our listeners want those marginal gains. You know, other people will say, well, 1.6, that's enough for me. Um, but some folks will say, hey, I want every last drop I can get. And that's where you're moving up towards that 2.2. But yeah, the 1.2 is that minimum. And it's that idea of like, let's make, let's improve the quality of your, your worst day versus, and then we can start to aim towards, um, you know, maximizing or optimizing from there. 
Yeah, and speaking of that, we have to back up a few steps. I mean, we probably have a listening audience that's healthy, fit, and, and active every day. But a lot of times when you read a, a, a newspaper story headline, um, yeah. look, we're looking at hundreds of millions of people who sit on their ass all day. And then here's some research showing mm. that consuming too much protein can damage the kidneys and cause uh, increased insulin growth factor. And if you're not moving around and not exercising and not even putting your body under under resistance load and doing all those things, you're kind of going into uh, a different uh, a circle in the playground and you got to go sit there and talk about your movement objectives before we're splitting hairs and engaging in internet yeah. debate about the pros and cons. Same with uh, whatever they, the diverse dietary strategies that people are so excited about. I think For we, sure. you know, we, got, we got to hit the big picture item first and then, you know, then go down the road further. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's where they have that idea of like, if we can hit our protein, no matter what dietary strategy you pick, you know, you're going to be doing a pretty good job of setting yourself up then. And to your point, you know, the other analogy I like with protein is, is like bricks in the wall. And if the more active you are, the more bricks you're pulling out of that wall. And so we've got to, we've got to put the bricks back in and we got to eat the protein. And I think, you know, something that you know, and of course your guests, uh, will, I'm sure talked about previously, but as we increase our protein intake, we also increase our micronutrients, right? We're getting more vitamins, more minerals. It is like nature's multivitamin. Mm. And that seems to go get missed in the, in the picture when we, you know, the vegetables and the fruits seem to always get the love when it comes to micronutrients, but we've got to shift that focus back to protein as well. Right. That's a good point. Uh, when you're, you're talking about uh, a vast uh, assortment of carbohydrate foods that don't have much nutrition at all, your Starbucks drink, your Ben and Jerry's ice cream, uh, we can also uh, get consume a lot of fat where maybe we're not getting a lot of micronutrients. But when you're looking at the typical choices of protein, you're getting a lot of uh, peripheral benefits too. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's between that and the satiety effect. And of course, what we call the thermic effect of food, which means it just costs your body up to 30% more calories just to break it all down and digest it and assimilate it. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a pretty nice win. And for people who are trying to lose weight, I mean, there's overfeeding studies where they get overfed 800 extra calories from protein and they don't gain any extra weight. So, you know, if you're going to overshoot um, on a macronutrient, I mean, protein is definitely the one. And, and to your point earlier, you know, we know now that you know, up to three grams per kilo, which is just a number that, you know, unless you want to start carrying around Tupperwares like you're a bodybuilder, mm. you'll never get anywhere near that number, you know, is safe for over the course of a year for the kidneys. So yeah, mm. the whole discussion around kidney health and, and protein is, is unfortunately still perpetuated in some medical circles, but, uh, you know, all the best protein researchers in the world would say it's, it's not an issue if your kidneys are healthy. Yeah, it seems to me, even in the, you know, the category of advanced health enthusiasts, uh, dropping excess body fat seems to be probably the number one goal of the entire health and living, healthy living community at large. And this yeah. seems to have the most potential. That's why I'm so interested in the carnivore diet, because you're assigned to eat these incredibly nutritious and high satiety foods that have a lot of nutritional value. Uh, and oh, guess what? You're going to be full, satisfied, and you're not going to be spiking insulin so that uh, you're going to regulate appetite and probably 
um, predicting some favorable results with that huge and, and frustrating battle of trying to drop fat, possibly superior to going and, and, and choosing the, the fat all the time, like a lot of the keto message is coming out to be. And you can have these high fat snacks that you can find in a bag or a wrapper and they're yes. keto approved and they're, they're <laughs> yeah. sweetened with this artificial thing. And so um, mm-hmm. it, it seems more reasonable to go back to basics, especially when we're talking about ancestral living. And, you know, we have meat, fish, fowl, eggs. Uh, these things have been the centerpiece of the human diet for a couple million years. Let's go back and hit those hard. That's it. You know, if, if the if the ingredient list has one word, you're doing pretty well, right? Like beef, <laughs> eggs, yeah. broccoli. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, oh, boy. Like, stick to uh, that. One thing you said quickly, I want to focus in on, which was that aspect of reducing choice or reducing decision fatigue. Um, mm. Boy, this carries over into all areas of life. I, I remember a study, kind of the random random comment. Then I'll then I'll tee you up. But um, yeah, no, we're talking about if if the um, consumer had like three choices of automobile and they chose one versus another group that had twenty three different choices, the the level of satisfaction with the purchaser of uh, the the more narrow choice was much higher because they chose the best out of three. They're super satisfied. Yeah. They did their research. And then when you have 23, you're like, oh, shit, maybe I should have got a Tesla. Yeah. Those things I, don't, I don't even want a car anymore if there's 23. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, I mean, it's, it's crazy, I'll but take now Uber. we take it into like food and exercise decisions and how to structure your daily life. You're talking about getting more busy with with your three kids. Um, what do we do there? Can we can we uh, automate things to to make it easier to stay on track? Well, I think that's, you know, Monday to Friday, by and large, if the more we can do that, the better we're going to be. And the, where we see that the most is late eating, right? Mm. You know, we, we see research now showing that more than 40% of all the calories we consume come after 6 p.m. You know, oh, and really? unless, unless wow. most of us are running marathons in the evening or hitting the dance floor, this is not a good time to be bringing on board the majority of your energy in a day. And we're seeing more and more people, and this is a phenomenon that's happening in not just the US and Canada, but France, even where they live long and healthy, Japan. So it's it's a global phenomenon. And, and the later that you eat, you tend to eat more ultra processed food. You tend to, mm. it tends to be higher in calories. You know, you tend to consume more alcohol. And so the challenge, of course, is after a long, busy day, and of course, in midlife, whether you have kids or not, whether it's just your job or everything else, it's busy, it's hectic. And so if, if your compliance is low and you're sitting on the couch wondering, well, should I or shouldn't I have a glass of wine or a beer or, you know, whatever else? I mean, the, the chances are you're going to go for it, right? And so this is where trying to, you know, if we're trying to lose weight, if we're trying to improve our glucose control or inflammation, all these types of things, we got to start to say, okay, you know, especially with lockdown, since, you know, rather than getting everybody fit with government initiatives, everyone's been drinking wine and watching Netflix for the last year. So it's even more topical. But we've got to start chipping away and saying, okay, you know, Monday to Wednesday or Monday to Thursday, we're not going to snack after dinner, right? And, you know, we'll have maybe some water or a cup of tea or something like that to provide a bit of sensation. But we've got to pre-select these days so that we don't have to decide at nine o'clock on a Monday whether we want a snack or not. You know, that's part part (laughs) of the story. Now, the other part of the story is also the fact that we are like Pavlov's dog in the sense that if you always have that nice glass of wine and, and... piece of chocolate in your living room or TV room where you relax. Well, if you keep exposing yourself to that same environment whilst you have those nice things, well, what happens on a Tuesday when you actually don't really crave a glass of wine or whatever else, but that environment now, your brain is getting the sensation, well, wait a minute, hey, this is the place where we have the, you know, 
this is the nice food, the chocolate, the ice cream at nine o'clock at night or 10 o'clock. And so you begin to get cued by your environment. And so for people who struggle with, you know, not being able to resist that late night snack, you know, just changing rooms, go read a book in a different room, go do some light stretching, go take a hot shower or bath, go for a walk. And it's amazing how all of a sudden it's almost like flipping a switch where you can get through that craving now. And we're not trying to deny anyone a nice glass of wine, you know, Hey, couple days in the weekend or the, you know, the fitter or healthier you are, you might expand that to three nights a week or whatnot. Mm. But if we don't start to kind of pay attention and, and even designate some of those nights, it just becomes really tough when you're tired and run down. It's been a long day and the bottle of wine is sitting there or the beer or whatever it might be for that individual bag of chips, whatever, you know, we're human and we're going to typically, you know, go for those types of cravings. Mm, I guess, especially in the evening after we've been worn down and our decision fatigue is accumulating, our willpower is diminishing because we've applied willpower in 17 different ways uh, to, to mm. resist watching uh, another YouTube video about high jumping when you're supposed to be writing a book or whatever the example is. And then we get to the finish Just line of the day. Past. <laughs> <laughs> we conclude that we deserve it, right? And so yeah, everything sure. kind of unravels. I wonder and, if and willpower, uh, just to jump in, Brett, like willpower, as you know, it's a finite resource, right? Like, mm. and, and this is where we dovetail into the elite of the elite. Like they don't get up at 530 in the morning because they're disciplined. I mean, they've done it so long, the discipline turns into automaticity, right? It turns into habit. Like they get up at 530 and they don't ask themselves, should I or shouldn't I get up? They've just done it so long. They, they roll out of bed, even if they're cursing under their breath and they do it, right? Whereas the rest of us, if it's early in the morning or not feeling so good, you have that moment. Should I run? Should I stay in bed? Like when you're teetering on that moment, that's when we know already there's going to be a, a problem. So we got to find some strategies to help to offset that. Okay. Now I got to put myself up on the, the chopping block on that specific example right there with okay. sleep. Um, and we champion the the um, you know the high performing executive who's got their morning routine and they're so disciplined and it's automatic to get up and before the sunrise and uh, send oh, sure. a picture on social media of your watch with the the awakening time like Jocko does all the time and yep. you know I come from uh, elite athletic background just like you do coaching the the national level players in Canada and when yep. I was a triathlete I did everything I could to maximize my sleep no matter what and so I was yep. obsessed with being in bed as long as possible rather than being some badass who would answer to the alarm no matter what. And I know there's, boy, we got to get our habits in place. We got to get our ass out of bed and do something or, you know, do something productive rather than eat too much food at nighttime. But where's that balance point when it comes to sleep and resting your body and, and answering that voice that says, I don't really feel like doing my morning workout today. For sure. And I, yeah, I mean, I suppose with the example I was giving is around that idea of like, you know, assuming that sleep is taken care of, then right, we're going right. to get up and do what we need to do. And we're not going to just say, well, maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Right. Uh, and to your point, I mean, triathletes and endurance athletes are great at this, right? C compliance is, is such a huge part of success. I mean, the British uh, Sports Medicine Journal a few years back basically found that, you know, if, if you can't show up every day to train and compete, then just being ill, just being run down, you can't keep up with the competition because you're missing training days. And so, you know, they, they summarize that, you know, poor health is incompatible with elite performance. And so that's how <laughs> crucial that. it is to just show up every day um, and, and get it in. And so, yeah, I mean, sleep's fundamental. We know, you know, some classic studies by Sheldon Cohen back in the 90s where they 
which you can't do these days, but they inoculated participants with uh, with a, a virus, right, a common cold, and to see who who got sick the most. So if you got less than seven hours of sleep, you were three times more likely to get sick. And if you got less than six hours of sleep a night, you were four and a half times more likely to get sick. And so, you know, that's not, you know, and again, in midlife, this is one of the reasons why parents with young kids get sick all the time. It's not just being exposed to what's at the school, but it's the fact that if you're not sleeping as much, you've got the combination of increased exposure with suppressed immunity, which is the perfect recipe for, you know, catching something. So we definitely need to, you know, find a way to chip away, you know, at least get that seven hours that were, you know, the National Seat Foundation recommends. But, you know, I think there's probably times when people are really busy at work, or if it's again, parents with young kids, where we've got to carve out those spots to maybe find some naps in the day to try to think about our weekly total rather than just what we can get in a day because you know there's periods where you're going to get stuck with that maybe six or six and a half for a little bit of time and you got to find a way to to get through it right yeah i had a great interview uh learning about this concept of your sleep deficit and that you can imagine this uh, ideal of getting eight. I say eight hours because I'm a I'm a sleep machine. But you know, let's say yeah, eight hours times fantastic. times seven is fifty six hours a week, and yep. you can kind of keep this mental note going in your mind or write it down uh, when you traveled and you uh, got on the airplane or woke up early, and now your sleep deficit is four hours or whatever, and yep. um, you will make that up over time one way or another. Um, if you're, if you want to be healthy. And so that might mean finding that nap, there's an hour there on the weekend. Um, it's not ideal, but you can, you can kind of, you know, my, my sister's the queen of, uh, afternoon naps and she'll go down for three hours because she has an extremely busy life as a physician, including night calls and things where her sleep is, yeah. you know, destroyed like a, like a first responder. Uh, but boy, what a, what a great opportunity to, to imagine this sleep deficit and trying to always get back to a, a zero score. That's, I mean, that's tremendous. That's what we do with our athletes, that idea mm. of yeah, that weekly sleep total, because you sometimes just always think of how much you can get in a night. And, you know, if mm. you're only, if you're only getting six, you, it's really hard to go to seven or seven and a half in one jump. And so where else can you find time? So I love that idea of, of throwing in those naps. Another interesting study that came out of uh, Dr. James Betts, that same University of Bath group, people who have short sleep. So you have that night where you don't have a lot of sleep. What do we all reach for in the morning? Cup of coffee, right? Get us going. They actually found that when you have a short sleep, when you drink that coffee first thing in the morning, you actually, again, get this really exaggerated, it was up to 50% exaggerated glucose response in the morning. So it was sort of worsening this stress response. And if those individuals just waited a little longer, right? So rather than that, that day where you're waking up and you're tired and you, you know, just hold off a couple hours and then have your coffee and you actually have a much better nervous system response. So you're not sort of cracking that whip so hard on an already a sluggish and fatigued nervous system. So that's, you know, and I'm a coffee lover, so I get it. I get it reaching for the, reaching for the pot. I had one client who had an automated coffee maker where it's already brewing and everything in the moment <laughs> before he even wakes up. I mean, that's next level, but, uh, but those are some of the little things we can start to do to just then not be cracking the whip so hard in the nervous system, because, you know, as you know, it, it'll add up and it, people, can really dig themselves a pretty good hole between the lack of sleep and and too much caffeine. Oh, I love it. So if you are uh, struggling, dragging ass, 
let's make sure that we ride that out rather than try to to overcome it. I, I feel like the same thing is um, when you're uh, you got that stiff lower back before you're playing your once a week pickup basketball game, and you you you, you dump, <laughs> dump a few ibuprofen <laughs> and go out there and feel yeah. fine. I'd rather have the stiff back because that's going to limit my mobility and protect me from you know having a, a disastrous injury. And that's a great point. Like as soon as you start taking NSAIDs, ibuprofens and such before exercise, like that's when you know you're you're past the tipping point, right? Now that protective signal of pain is now being overridden. And you, yeah, you can get yourself into some trouble there. So that's a very good point. Uh, let's go, before we continue to cruise on, I want to go back to that uh, ideal of uh, setting yourself up to make fewer decisions and putting these peak performance attributes in place. We kind of went off target when you talked about the elite uh, getting up early no matter what. So let's say sleep is taken care of. And then you have a few options at hand when you start your day or when you have time to carve out and you wish you could be better about blank, uh, getting to the gym, uh, getting out in the morning. How do we automate this? And also, you know, you can throw in some, some eating things too. Yeah, I mean, to quickly kind of tie up the eating piece, I mean, the concept that we try to use in the book is called Master Your Morning, which basically means get the right breakfast in, which means the right amount of protein for you, and omit the morning snacking. Like for most individuals, unless you're an athlete or somebody who has performance goals, most individuals, we don't need to snack between breakfast and lunch, right? I mean, even if you're 10% body fat, you've got 30,000 calories. You could run eight marathons with no fuel. So surely we can get from 8 a.m. to 12 noon without eating, right? And so again, that frees up, you know, reduces the energy intake over the day and, and whatnot. So that's that on the nutrition side. On the exercise side, there again, there's some great new research coming out. A gentleman named Rob Edinburgh showed that, you know, when we're doing resistance training in the morning, right? And this is overweight individuals in that same fasted state, the body starts to use more intramuscular triglycerides. So the fats in the muscle. Now, the cool thing there is that when you use more of those to lift or do your session, that's actually a really powerful signal to the brain to start improving insulin sensitivity because it senses that those that, that fuel gauge is lowering because you're getting through those intramuscular fats more, more quickly. So, you know, that can be a really great strategy if, if someone wants to get up and have that coffee and lift. And then on the flip side, I think underappreciated is just how and walking you can do anytime, but walking after a meal, if you're looking to blunt the glucose response. So again, somebody who's struggling with higher blood sugars, maybe pre-diabetic or diabetic. Just going for a walk after a meal, which, you know, these days with phones, you can be listening to a podcast, you can be <laughs> no taking excuses. a walk, you can be That's taking right. a walking meeting, you could be doing a million different things. Whilst watch you're your Netflix in. thing, man. Watch your Netflix. Same thing you I were mean, doing at home. Yeah. And so I think that's that could be a nice one because a lot of times too, we can connect that with being outside or we can connect it with going with a friend or a colleague. So you've got some uh, connecting with a person, which after COVID is, is kind of nice <laughs> to see another uh, actual human. Um, but, but those are some ways in the morning of being able to think about, you know, what you might want to do. And again, it's, it's, it depends on the, the individual, but, uh, but some nice options there. Uh, let's talk about the, the cutting edge now and the elite performers of the world and what's, what's going well. And also, I mean, you hit hard in the book, which is nice because we need to talk about this without any sugar coating, um, that there's still so much 
<laughs> bro, bro science and old school traditions, you call it. And I still see this permeating the, the very highest levels of sport where, you know, an Olympian type performer or a, a leading professional basketball player, Clay Thompson, rehabbing an injury goes down with another injury. And I'm going to point a finger and say, look, this guy is a, is a multi-million dollar thoroughbred racehorse business entity, economic asset. And somebody screwed up because you shouldn't be pulling uh, tendons out of place as an extremely high-performing athlete. So let's talk about the good and the things that you see, especially on the recovery side, which is such your area of expertise, and also the stuff that's still hanging out there uh, that's kind of uh, anywhere from adverse to disgraceful. Yeah, I mean, it, it is such a, it's a challenge even at the highest level. And one of the sayings that I like to use with clients is, you know, compliance over complexity. Like, I think it's natural that we want to make things more, compli- more complex, more complicated. Um, but often Why is that, help. Mark? Why do you think? Yeah. I mean, you're dealing yeah. with we real love, human clients. That, and I, I know the guy you're talking about or gal, it's the ones that ask 17 questions after you make a, a simple suggestion, like get your protein <laughs> up to 1.6. Okay. Well, that's good. We can harness all that passion and energy, but it's almost like we got to make sure we're hitting the big rocks because even at the highest level, there's often an area that we're missing or that isn't fully tapped. And, and that idea of, of big rocks or big buckets, we sometimes call it, is that if, if you have if you have a big bucket, even if you only fill that big bucket halfway or two thirds, it's going to be a lot more beneficial than that little wee thimble or shot glass. If you fill that up, even if you 100% maximize <laughs> it, you're still not getting very much bang for your buck, right? Um, so compliance is big. So when we talk about injuries, you know, low energy availability is this term where we're not consuming enough caloric intake, not enough. I prefer to call it energy than calories, but um, and so this is a problem at the highest level because sometimes we get so focused at, you know, eating clean. It's nice that that's sort of a trend and people want to consume more whole foods and, and that's tremendous. Um, and that's obviously the, the foundation of any performance nutrition protocol. But we also need to just make sure there's enough gas in the gas tank to drive the car from LA to New York, right? If there's not enough fuel in the system, we're going to expose ourselves to more injuries. And if you combine that with things like lack of sleep, you know, we really become you know, more susceptible. So those things crop up more than you'd realize because a sport like basketball is just even an hour of intense training in the gym is nowhere near, you know, the accelerations, the decelerations, the jumping, the landing that you get in a sport like basketball or soccer or American football. So the caloric demands are just, you know, really high. And this is where, you know, including more juices, more readily available, you know, this is where some ultra processed food you might use just to, to increase the amount of energy that goes in. And it's always funny when we talk about the general population and athletes, because you know, it's, it's tough to square that, that circle. Sometimes we say, well, actually this person, I'm going to have them eat some cereal or some pasta because it's going to make them more hungry. So we can get enough meals in the day to get enough fuel in. Right. So almost the opposite of what we're telling the general population, <laughs> but because movement's so high, when you look at their blood sugars, their lipid panel and everything else, they're, metabolically, they're still fantastic, right? And so, you know, that's that's a part of it, of that idea of getting enough fuel in. And then, you know, the other aspect is that <laughs> athletes are people too. So it's funny how, you know, they want to look lean. They want to look, they want to see the six pack. And all of a sudden they're comparing themselves maybe to a, to a fellow pro. And, and now they start changing their fueling plan because they think that, well, my my uncle's doing this or my brother did this or a friend of mine did the XYZ. And again, that tends to fall into this. Well, now we're eating less, whether it's meal frequency or, or total energy and we can get into some, into some problems there. So 
uh, you know, it's, it's, it's elite athletes, as you know, are, are different to a certain degree than the rest of us, but the, the similarities are they have struggling to eat the right breakfast too, right? Like there's mm-hmm. some of those parts of it make it very relatable in the sense that they might just roll into practice after having a croissant rather than eating the right breakfast that they need to eat, right? And so we're some of these messages that we're telling the rest of our clients is, is what we're also telling the best of the best. Right. I suppose you can uh, realize you're in that category of underfeeding if you're uh, lean, have good blood work, and not recovering like you you wish or, or something like that, which is a, a small sliver. Yeah, I mean, these are the more elite, you know, these are the elite of the elite. And it's uh, it's a different animal, isn't it? When, again, if we think of the best golfer, if we go back to golf, like the best golfer at your local club who sh- the scratch golfer is still nowhere near the guys who are on the, on the lower tours and they're still nowhere near the guys who are on the big tour. I mean, it's just you know, the, that those jumps that you go through or um, another great one actually from the endurance world was Andy Jones, who was doing the Nike um, you know, sub two mm. documentary was talking about how he had a, a friend who was a really elite runner. And so they were doing a warm a, a treadmill test. And I think he got up to like 16, 17 kilometers an hour. Uh, so he's really running his heart out and then he gets off there. Then the, the pros come in and, you know, start their warm up at that speed. <laughs> it's like, you know, they're, they're fueling it just a different level. So that's, it does get difficult when we think of the general population because it's, it, you know, they've got their own set of rules when it comes to the amount of fuel. Um, but uh, sometimes you see it in the general population when people get really dialed into, um, you know, certain dietary aspects. But uh, yeah, if you're struggling with energy, if your blood work's starting to look a bit funky, um, you know, if your mood's starting to get impacted, then, then that's one to think about. Yeah, I think I have some personal uh, reference points of this concept where if you uh, get accustomed to eating fewer calories, your body will downregulate everything, including that you take uh, 48 hours to recover from a session instead of 36. Uh, you're not mm. tapping your foot during the day like you described earlier. And so all these compensations occur, which are really disturbing, including that since you're uh, not energetic enough to put in the hard work, you're not going to get as fit and you're not going to get as lean because you're not eating enough food. So that's some that's some crazy shit right there. I'd love for you to comment on that. And then I'm going to ask you on the flip side too. But first, let's learn about this pattern that might be more common than we think, uh, including the person who's got five extra pounds and is stressing about that and cutting back mm-hmm. when maybe they should be pounding some more protein first thing in the morning in your example. Yeah, I mean, this is where it's the human body is fascinating, isn't it? I mean, if you go back to this golf analogy, like we, you know, you hit balls in the range, you you try to groove your swing, and there's certain days where all of a sudden, you know, you've just got it. You've got the swing cue you like, and all you're just flushing it. And maybe this goes on for a few days or a week, and in your mind, you sort of think, "I've got it. Like it's never gonna, <laughs> I'm never gonna lose it again, right?" And then, 14 days later, or 10 days later, or the very next day, mm-hmm. you know you're hitting the duck hook into the woods again and you're like, what is going on? And so this is where the, you know, the human body, again, to your point, the adaptations are always taking place. And so we do have to think about, you know, if that individual has 20 or 30 pounds to lose and we're really reducing caloric intake and we're using certain strategies, you know, as they get fitter and leaner, we're going to start, you know, potentially change the rules of the game a little bit. You know, they may require more fuel or they may need more carbohydrate, you know, and so, there are all these nuances. It's almost like standing on a 
on a ball, if you will, right? You've always got to keep your feet moving to, to, to hold that balance. And so, you know, the good news is that most of these tweaks are like five degrees off what people are doing, which is, you know, I'm sure you see with your clients, right? People think that the world is, the sky is falling, but really yeah. we just need to do a little bit here, a little bit there, and we'll get everything back on. And it's, it's back to that idea of having that long view of that compliance view. Like, you know, unfortunately that expectation we get on social media is rapid body transformation in 30 days. And, you know, sometimes I'll tell my clients, well, how good a guitar player can you get in 30 days? Right. Or how, you know, how's your Italian after 30 days? Yeah. When we're dealing with these kind of complex problems, we've got to give ourselves time or, or even investments, right? How are your investments after 30 days? We need to start taking that, that longer <laughs> approach. And if I'm down, just, I'm down. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Right. And there's a tremendous strength coach over here in the UK, Dan Cleather, St. Mary's University. And he talks, you know, he'll ask a client what their goals are for, you know, and they'll say, well, I want to add 20 pounds to my, to my bench press or whatever. They'll say, great. Okay. We're going to add five pounds a year for the next four years. <laughs> you know, it's like completely reframing things in that sense of like, if, if we actually take it this slow, we can really make progress, you know, and, you know, obviously with a plan and everything else, but you can then start stacking the wins versus what people tend to do is, is that, and of course, you know, your listeners are well, well versed in a lot of this stuff, but I'm sure you've seen, you know, we go from one approach to the next. And if, if we're never kind of tackling those, those challenges head on, then, then we end up back in the same place. Love the golf analogies, man. I'm thinking of my <laughs> brother, who's a longtime, lifelong champion golfer shooting. He just shot his age at the age of 69. He shot a 68, uh, wow. which would be uh, two or three under par on the course. So, you know, he, he's a player and he's been for, yeah. for decades. And I remember him answering a question of a friend who had just recently been exposed to golf and was getting really excited. And he said, Wally, how long do you think it would take if I practice, you know, an hour every single day to get really good at golf? And he, you know, he, he paused and answered straight up deadpan about 10 years. And the guy's face went, what are you talking about? Because if you want to go add weight to your bench press or things like that, I think you can, you know, you can, you can get a lot done in six weeks, but um, the idea of, of, of shooting par in golf. And then back to the, the other golf analogies, I think that's a really important point to strengthen is like um, your worst day and your most, you know, your, your worst spin-off track on that cruise or that vacation. Um, if you're still, uh, you know, not too bad, then you can recalibrate and continue this forward momentum. But I think that's the really important thing to identify is we're not all going to be perfect. But if you have a day where you flaked off and missed out and, uh, you know, didn't hit your checkpoints, you know what, it still wasn't that bad. That's the thing. And the big themes in the book of Peak 40 is like, if you get your morning right, and mm. things don't go off the rails too much in the evening, and you can hit your protein through the day, you'd be amazed how much progress you can make. And when things go off the rails a year from now, if you come back to those things, it's a great way to just bring everything back to the middle. You know, it's like, keep keep the ball in play. <laughs> like let's let's get it out of the bush back. It doesn't even have to be on the fairway yet. At least it's in the rough, we can find it, right? Um, and so that's where, or the analogy when you go bowling and they have those bumper lanes, you know? You can only go, you can only, <laughs> right. it can only get so bad. Whereas Put some bumper lanes up in your life, people. I love well, it. Well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, the problem with midlife is that things get so challenging that mm. we, people just say, oh, screw it, you know? And then now all of a sudden, instead of being 10 or 15 or 20 pounds, you know, I'm sure you see this with your clients. It can quickly get to 30 or 40 pounds. It can quickly get to hypertension and prediabetes. And it's only when the, you know, for a lot of times, and probably speaking more to men here than women, but you know, it's, it's only until they go to the doctor and the doctor says, mm. you know, you need to go on a statin or you've got diabetes where the lights start to go on. And it's like, oh shit, I need to do something about this. Um, mm. And, you know, 
hopefully we don't have to wait to that to that point, right? Boy, I, I will say that this ain't easy, and we can be positive and enthusiastic here on the show and talk about our great examples from our own life about my morning routine. It's great, Mark. Let me tell you what it is. You can see it on YouTube. Uh, but I, I realized myself, like, there's kind of a uh, a level, a shelf you have to get up to, uh, to where, in my case, I'm going to reference strength training and you know putting my body under heavy resistance load, doing the deadlifts, doing the X3 bar. Um, yeah. This stuff is pretty strenuous and tiring, especially when you don't do it regularly. And it's taken me, I'm going to say, uh, several years to get to this, I guess, sort of a, a breakthrough point where I can go out to a gym. Like I'm on vacation yesterday with my brother. We went into the fitness center of the nice. Squaw Valley Resort and I threw some weight around. And it felt fine and I got a good workout and I went about my busy day. But I know a couple few years ago, whenever I was kind of, you know, I was doing other things for fitness, but putting that, putting that uh, resistance load on the bar, um, boy, I felt it the next day. I was sore. I was tired. And it's sort of discouraging uh, when you try mm-hmm. to um, do all these, you know, these great checkpoints. Another one would be um, cutting the, uh, the sugar and the carbs out of your diet. If you try to, slightly cut back for the next 30 days, it's going to suck because it's, it's, it's too difficult. There's too many addictive properties of these reward foods. And, you know, there, there's some, there's some uh, justification here for stepping up to the plate and going, you know, I'm going to do this. It's 2021 and I'm, I'm going to make it work no matter what. And it, it might be a little difficult at times, but you're going to have this breakthrough point somewhere in the future where you're a fit person and you can throw down and, and, and carry on without uh, having to having to cry about it 24 hours later. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And one of the cool things even researching for Peak 40 was this, this the science of awe. You know, what's awe? Awe is like going out into nature and seeing an ocean or seeing some mountains, as you mentioned, seeing forest. Um, you know, even going to a concert or a sporting event. And it's pretty amazing that awe triggers this inspiration, right? So if you're tired and run down and there's stress at work and stress at home, and it's like, you don't even want to, to your point, you don't even want to like the thought of getting out to exercise or train is just another thing on the to-do list. And man, I don't have time for that. Just get yourself out into nature for a minute. Just just get (laughs) exposed to these scenes. And it's like, all of a sudden, there's a little bit of a spark there, Right. Um, and so inspiration is actually a central theme of mm. all and all ties into um, all aspects of happiness. So both life satisfaction and subjective happiness. And so it's amazing how on that side of the coin, you know, we talked about habits, which is one end of the spectrum, but that other end, that initial end is that spark of inspiration to kind of light the match so you can actually start doing some of these things. And I think, it, you know, when people are struggling, and I know the last year with COVID, it's been pretty full on for everybody in terms of the mental health aspect you know, just getting some space, getting outside, seeing whether it's a, you know, an ocean, a mountains, forest, whatever it might be. But that is a nice way to just reset mentally to say, okay, mm. you can, you can take some of these things on board versus, you know, I know for, you know, with working with various clients, it can just seem like a, at some points, like it's just too many things to do in a day to even get started. Wow. I love that. And I would predict that once the person takes a few steps out into nature, sometimes the inspiration might occur right on the spot to say, yeah, maybe oh, yeah. I will jog uh, down to the uh, the bridge and turn around. But to have that natural thing. motivation is so beautiful rather than the pressure and the intimidation, which is we know is such a huge factor in the gym scene where people are literally don't want to go in there to be seen in their workout outfit. And all these things are going through their head that are, you know, so tragic. 
That's exactly it. And even like the idea of journaling or like med- meditation, which <laughs> are all great, which, which are all great strategies. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I, I recommend them, but for some people it's like, it just seems like another thing to have to do or learn. Whereas like, just walk outside over there to the forest. And it's amazing how like a light switch, it'll, you know, it, we, we see even in the research, anxiety levels decrease, cortisol levels go down, all these things that will help you to get that, you know, to your point. And then all of a sudden people start doing the things we want mm. them to do without that external motivator, without having to wag your finger and say, do this, do that. You know, once you get that internal motivation going in a client, whether they're gunning for Tokyo or the rest of us, <laughs> that's when we've got something to work with, right? Oh, that's nice. We're now talking in the uh, the, the forgotten one percent realm of all content on podcast, social media, internet, because everyone's wagging that finger, and I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm sure I'm uh, to blame, or, or you know, someone with all my enthusiasm and well intentioned. It can be uh, off putting to people that are too freaking busy, or you know, don't don't live and breathe this stuff. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, get out into nature, man. That's the that's our starting point. And and have your hands empty. Don't have a freaking snack when you're out in nature. Just just, <laughs> yeah. just breathe and enjoy the trees. Yeah, no there energy bars allowed. And it's always amazing. I'm from Toronto, and going out to the West Coast, whether it's Vancouver or you know, just the smelling that you, you get out off the plane and the air smells fresher. You know, so I mean, anytime you can get out wherever you are, you know, definitely helps. Mm. Uh, well, before we wrap up, I, I'm uh, interested in what's working at the recovery category, especially with the elite performers. And part of my question is, we're hit with all this cool high-tech stuff. And I tried the Normatech boots and they were fantastic. And I'm like, should I get a Mm. pair? And then I go, oh, oh, they're (laughs) $2,000. I I don't know what they cost. I thought, you know, I'd pop a couple hundred bucks for something that cool. Um, But I'm waiting in the background to see like, what are, you know, what are the very best things? You know, I'm a fan of cold exposure and that's getting a lot of, a, a lot of publicity, but you know, what's, what's the cool stuff that's happening out there on the cutting edge? That may be affordable too. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think if we start even with general population again, I think cold tubs are great. But even for a lot of people, again, it's that like, ooh, do I want to get into a cold tub? So hot tubs are, have some tremendous benefit as well. When we look mm-hmm. at blood pressure, right? You get in somewhere mm-hmm. really hot, vessels dilate, your cardiac output goes up. And so you can actually improve your blood pressure by just sitting in a nice 100 degree, 104 degree hot tub. Um, you also actually see blood sugar levels improving when you just sit in a hot tub. So it's actually recommended now if people are, you know, can't exercise because they're unfortunately that obese or, or unfit, actually just sitting in a hot tub for 14 minutes will improve glucose control. And we can actually start that process to then, you know, what we talked about, get inspired, get moving and all that good stuff. Now on the recovery side, even at the highest level, it, it, there's always been this back and forth between hot or cold. And, and you see all the teams now with their performance centers and the NBA especially, um, but football now as well with theirs is, you know, the hot and different cold tubs, but being able to get in, you know, just to get the blood moving is such a key aspect of it. And so, especially to things that don't get good blood flow areas like the ankles and wrists. And then, and so that's one where, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, it's the old is new again with, with mm-hmm. having some of that contrast of hot and cold. Um, so that's, you know, definitely an area and, you know, it does get tricky. We have cryotherapy, some teams use. Um, and despite the fact that cold plunges are sort of superior to cryotherapy, you know, sometimes that two minute exposure, that wow factor, if we do talk about some of the benefits of pizzazz and you can actually get an athlete to go in there for two minutes and they won't go into the cold bath, then that could be 
you know, something that's beneficial. But mm-hmm. those those Normatech boots do pretty well. You just got to, uh, you know, make make friends with your local sports therapist <laughs> to be able to to rent some out because they are pretty pricey. Oh, wow. You've covered so much ground. And I love how you're always threading in the research. You can tell that you're just up on the, the finger on the pulse of everything. Working with real people is, is also a, a nice kind of attribute from being purely theoretical and, and just For dealing sure. with studies all day. It's like, wait, how does this work with my clients? So um, yeah. I'm going to recommend this peak 40 to everyone. Hey, if you're under 40, uh, get get on this before you turn 40. And if you're over 40, it's time to grab the book. Maybe tell yeah, us- Got uh, to ride that wave as long as you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell, tell us uh, further how to connect with you and any any final thoughts that you want to share. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, the, the book comes out May 20th, Peak 40. Uh, there's a podcast also. We'll have a short form podcast called Peak 40 where we'll dive more into some of these specific topics like the breakfast and the late eating. So you can check that out on my website. I've got a funny last name. So drbubs.com forward slash Peak 40. And if you want to find me on social media, ask any questions, it's at drbubs. Dr. Mark Bubbs, everybody, thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Da, 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 da. Appreciate it. Hit them long and straight. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to the show. I love sharing the experience with you and greatly appreciate your support. Please email podcast at bradventures.com with feedback, suggestions, and questions for the Q&A shows. Subscribe to our email list at bradkearns.com for a weekly blast about the published episodes and a wonderful bi-monthly newsletter edition with informative articles and practical tips for all aspects of healthy living. You can also download several awesome free ebooks when you subscribe to the email list. And if you could go to the trouble to leave a five or five star review with Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to the shows, that would be super incredibly awesome. It helps raise the profile of the BRAD podcast and attract new listeners. And did you know that you can share a show with a friend or loved one by just hitting a few buttons in your player and firing off a text message? My awesome podcast player called Overcast allows you to actually record a soundbite excerpt from the episode you're listening to and fire it off with a quick text message. Thank you so much for spreading the word. And remember, be rad.